Okay, hi everybody. My name's Diane, and I am a grateful member of the Al-Anon Worldwide Fellowship, and uh, I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. My home group is the Brentwood AFG and Path of Hope, but both meet in uh, Brentwood. Uh, one's Thursday night at 7 o'clock, and one's Friday night at 6.30, and I encourage any time you come to Nashville, give us a call. We're in the phone book. We'll be happy to take you to a meeting. Um, love to see you. Uh, I always like to start with a moment of silence again to invite my higher power to take me out of this and say what it is he would have me say here today. So if you would indulge me in just a moment. Thank you. I want to thank the committee, first off, for the wonderful time here bringing Mike and I, Marlene, thank you for calling and asking us. And, uh, the, uh, you know, it's just been a great conference. It's um, a roundup. I love the basket in the room. It was wonderful. I want to thank Margaret. I know she's not here, but uh, uh, please tell her how much we appreciated the wonderful basket in our room. I want to thank everybody that's hosted us for meals. It's great to get to know you and, and just spend time with, as Mike says, our people, you know. You are our family today. You are our friends. Um, whenever we go anywhere that's uh, AA or al I just feel at home. I don't feel like anybody's a stranger, and you've given me that, that uh, wonderful love and that, that your acceptance of, of us because you know us, you know. We all kind of been on this road together, and uh, I, I thank you all for all that you've given us, and I just feel like I've made more, more new family friends. Uh, it, it's just a real privilege and honor to be up here. Um, to be asked to speak, to tell our story. I never thought this would be me up here, so uh, I'm going to try to get the nerves out of here and and uh, just start talking. Now, first, I want to thank Harvey and Scott for taping. Uh, Mike and I have always um, listened to speaker tapes. Whenever I'm uh, needing to uh, just kind of reconnect, and I don't have my literature or whatever. Listening to a speaker tape is just such a connection back to this program. And, and uh, it's, it's a great service that you do. Thank you for coming all the way from Birmingham to do that. And I've enjoyed meeting Scott and um, seeing Harvey again. I can breathe. Um, I want to start off. I, I loved, um, you know, I was thinking about the different steps and you know, working through the steps has been, been our journey. And the 12th step is real powerful for me. Um, saw it through prayer and meditation. I start my days always with my readers, all my Al-Anon literature um, books. I, I, I've got them all. And uh, that's how I kind of start my day. And this morning, I uh, really connected with today's reading and uh, our hope for today, reader, and it says, before I came into Al-Anon, my attitudes were based on fear. I cast all my doubts and feelings of unworthiness onto other people. I set myself up as a victim. I always acted upon my anxiety, and I was forever reacting. Most times my reactions came in the form of blaming, running, or freezing. When I blamed others, I didn't have to feel my deep sense of shame. I ran because facing my fear and hurt seemed too difficult. And I froze because frozen hearts cannot feel pain. 
Al-Anon has given me a fresh way to view my life. I no longer choose to be a victim. Now I choose to take responsibility for my actions. I choose how I act, how I think, and how I feel about any situation that arises. I can choose fear or I can choose love. Fear keeps me shut off and unhealed. Love opens me up and heals me. Today, I choose love. And, you know, the, the longer I'm in this program, the more I realize all my actions were really based on fear. And um, I, I was raised in a very he- large family. Um, I have 11 brothers and sisters. Um, there's 13, under 13 years between the 12 of us. There's two sets of twins, and I'm a twin, and I'm in the middle. It was a very competitive family growing up. You know, there were seven sisters and four brothers. And especially being a twin, I was very, and I was the smallest, of, I was the runt of the whole clan. And uh, I just had to kind of fight my way to, to kind of be uh, like in position of the family wherever it was. We were kind of separated in the older six and the younger six, and my twin and I started the younger six. So where that falls in line, I was a middle child, I was a whatever, um, an older child. We were all, um, as my dad said, you know, we ran a tight ship. Uh, it was very um, controlled. There were a lot of uh, rules, and you knew to follow those rules. And I know if I was a parent of 12 children, I'd have to have the same (laughs) structure. And so, you know, we all were um, part of the family. We helped. We, you didn't ever sit around. You were always doing something, um, taking care of somebody or something. But my my parents gave us a great um, upbringing. We had a lot of fun. There was always people around. I didn't know anything. I didn't know what the silence was or being by myself. That was very foreign to me. And just I thought it was a normal household. There was alcohol there. It was not abused, to, to my knowledge. My father came home, and he would relax with a drink, and, you know, one or two, and that's what he'd do, and he'd that worked for him. My mother really didn't drink much. Um, she, I, I think it's a lot like me, she'd have, have like a party or something. She didn't drink on a regular basis. I don't know why. Having 12 kids, I probably would have. But she she would, you know, just for parties, I remember, or special occasions, we'd have, you know, something, wine or birthdays or something. We'd have a little, my mother would have like maybe one glass when she'd have friends over or something. And then she'd start getting really silly. And that's me. I, you know, just can't ha- hold it at all. So, And she wouldn't drink anymore. My dad would do the same. I never remember seeing him drink more than just a few. Never got um, used more than that. Now, my siblings, it was a little different. My parents would go out of town or something. We'd have parties at the house. And I remember being, my brothers would have kegs and stuff, and we had a barn, and all of his friends would be up with the kegs and giving the dog beer, and they'd all be drinking. We'd kind of spy on them as the younger brothers and sisters and watch them having fun, 
you know. I don't know if they got drunk. They probably did. But I, I just remember that was alcohol was for having fun and parties. My sisters, I have a sister who I met with for lunch Friday, and they were kind of asking about, what is this y'all do about telling when you talk? And I said, we just, I just tell my story, my, my family and stuff. And she goes, you talk about us? I was like, no, no, I, it's my family. <laughs> you know? I said, but, oh, excuse me, I do talk about you. And she said, why do you talk about me? I, so I shared some of the stories that I grew up with. And she said, oh, I remember those. She was my example. She was the reason I didn't drink too much. I would remember she would get, she was one of those that would get sick and throw up and cry and have hangovers. And she, was, she embellished even on the stories that I told her. She was like, gosh, do you know I got fired that next day? And I tried to swim and I kept thinking we were going to go on, my friend and I were going to hold our breaths underwater and see how long we could hold our breaths while we were drunk. I'm like, you're lucky to be alive. But, you know, my older brother kept pulling them up saying, no, you can't do this. But, I mean, I, some of the, that's, that's what I grew up, that's what if you drink, like Mike says, oh, you shoot, shoot the mark, overshoot the mark. Um, so I would always just stop. You know, I start feeling it, it would be stop, or I am going to make a fool of myself. I'm going to be crying, and I'm going to be throwing up and all that. And I, that control I have... Um, is really strong, and it's e- that that is keeps me from going, ever drinking too much. Not that I didn't, I did, I'm sure, but I uh, don't ever remember getting sick or or any of that passing out. The um, um, it, I, I I went through a, a private school upbringing with. Uh, a parochial school, so it was uh, pretty strict, and it was all fear-based of, you know, when you commit a sin or do anything, you're going to go to hell. So that fear kept me being a good girl. You know, I was always uh, doing the right thing, so I didn't end up in hell. I, I, I remember going back thinking, you know, if I do this, I've got to go to confession, talk about it, and I have to you know, do all that. So fear kept me in a, in a place that actually I'm grateful for today that once I went to college, um, it was like somebody let the bird out of the cage, and I didn't have parents there to watch me. I didn't have uh, nuns to watch me. I didn't go to church. Uh, I was raised in church, and it worked for me then, but as soon as I went to college, it was like everything got thrown out the window. I was just like, you don't have to do that anymore. You're on your own. And so we, I drank in high school a little bit. The, all the boys, of course, that I ever uh, was, were interested in drank. That was just part of you drank when you wanted to have fun. So that was just always I can look back, and that was one of like, the things that we did, and I didn't drink a lot, but I did drink. And when I went to college, the, the legal age got changed to 18. So it was, you know, you could drink in college legally, and we did. I did not join a sorority. I chose to, you know, I was a little sister of a fraternity. They were much more fun. 
loved being around the guys. I had two older brothers that were there in that fraternity, and my twin was there with me. We were both little sisters. So it was like family. I mean, I would go to the house, the fraternity house, and every day after class or whatever, play cards and just hang with the, the guys and, and felt at home. I loved it. Now, I was not really interested in studying. I did go to some classes. I didn't attend that many uh, that were, like, too early in the morning or whatever because we'd stay up late. It was back in the days when we, you know, just all-nighters and stuff. And so I tended to not do as well in that my college were really about fun and, and being free to do what I want. And this is the day. These were the 1970s, early 70s, so it was all about peace, love, joy. Drugs came into the, the, the picture then when I was in college, so psh, I, my academics were gone. I, I lasted two years. I managed to meet Mike. Uh, we were introduced by a mutual friend, and he was in Memphis, and I was in Knoxville. He, um, we didn't know each other. We both were from Nashville, but we didn't know each other. We, we did know a lot of mutual people, but so a mutual friend introduced us and said, yeah, we got to get y'all together. Y'all, I think we hit it off, and we did. We did. As soon as, I mean, we went out that first, well, he stood me up the first date because it was spring break and he had to go to the beach and, and he was riding with somebody else, which was fine. I met him and I thought he was funny and, and uh, cute. And so he said, let's get together the next weekend. So we, we went out that next weekend, went bowling. And I mean, it was just like love at first sight or whatever you want to call it or infatuation, lust, whatever. We had a blast. And so he would come up to Knoxville from Memphis, exam week, it didn't matter. I would get on a bus and ride to Memphis for a weekend to see him. And luckily, this was in the spring, so it came where he was going to be in Nashville. He was finishing college, and I was decided that if he was going to be in Nashville, I needed to be in Nashville. This is the way my mind works, you know. I, I, I could make up, you know, tell my parents, you know. I was on academic probation, but I, I'm, I didn't tell them that. I'm sure they probably knew. But I knew that, you know, my grades were gone. And so I thought, well, I'll just, my dad needed a secretary, and I somehow, I don't know if he had asked me, but I knew his secretary was leaving because she was having a, a, child, a baby's and needed a new secretary, and I was going to be a secretary. I said, well, you know, I'm not going back to college. I'll, you know, get a job, and you won't have to pay for my education or anything, I'm, and I'll, I'll pay my own way. And I thought, you know, he'll be really grateful. And I think after seven or eight through college, you're fine with that. And they did never encourage me to stay or, or discourage me or anything. It was just kind of my choice. And my choice was to be around Mike and get out of school. I didn't enjoy school. And we took off. And um, we dated for a couple of years. And there were some signs in the last year, some red flags that should have shown me there was something wrong here about his behavior. But my, my mind told me that that's 
That's, that'll, that'll all change, you know. That'll all change after we get married or something. Well, out of nowhere, Mike breaks up with me. I mean, things were going great. I didn't know, and all of a sudden, he breaks up with me and threw me for a loop. I was like, what's that about? But he would never tell me why we broke up until a few years ago. And, and that's kind of humorous because he heard me tell my story, and he said, you mean I really never told you why we broke up? And I said, no. And he said, well, it was because you were so controlling. <laughs> really? Really? And you couldn't tell. But I, I was just, but anyway, that's, that, that was the reason now. But so anyway, I, in my um, best pre-Alanon ways, decided, okay, you know, he's not going to tell me why. I can't fix it. I don't know, you know, I don't know what to fix. I'll just have me a good old time. I was in an apartment with another girl and my, one of my, that, that sister who kind of was my partier sister, who was my example. We, we all roomed together, so we just had parties all the time. And I would always make sure, invite Mike, we were still friends, that he could bring his friends or whoever to these parties. And I was... I had a date. I would always have a date, make sure that uh, he uh, saw me having a great time. I ignored him, supposedly. Of course, I always watched him outside, you know. And it was just one of those little things. And I, but in my mind, I thought, if it's going to make it, if, if we're going to make it, we'll make it. I'm not worried about it, you know. I'm just going to go. I'm not going to sit there and waste my time crying over him or anything. Let it be, you know. I was quesarosera and had a great time. I'm sure the drugs and alcohol probably played a part of that too, but we just partied and, and Mike, you know, was we we decided just to be friends and and I think there was a lot of um I don't know, game playing on my part, I'm sure. To make sure that I could draw him in, you know. I don't remember that. As Mike says, you know, we remember. I don't remember a lot of that. It was fun. It was crazy times. And I just kind of went along, and Mike ended up, he didn't tell the story about how we got back together, but he got his um, wisdom teeth, all four taken out. And his parents were out of town, and his secretary needed to get back to work at taking him to the doctor, and for some reason didn't plan on he needed somebody to take care of him because he was going to be incapacitated. And, and he, so he wrote down on a piece of paper, called Diane, and left my number. Well, his secretary didn't know we'd broken up a year before. And so he calls me at my work and says, you know, Diane, this is George, and Mike needs you to come over and take care of him because he's had his wisdom teeth out, and I've got to get back to the office, and I can't reach his parents, and his family's out of town. So I'm like, George who? Mike who? I, I didn't know what was going on. And then he, he said, well, Mike Allison. And I went, oh, oh, okay. And I was like, okay, I get a lunch hour. I'll go over and call his friends and get somebody to come take care of him. And I didn't realize what was happening, you know, and my, my father knew we'd broken up, and he said, what are you going over there for? And see, I'm such a good caretaker. I just said, well, I've got to go take care of Mike and, you know, get somebody over there to, I'll be back. I just told my dad I was, 
I said, you know, I do get a lunch hour, right? And he goes, yes. And I said, I'll be back in an hour. So I ran off and ran over to Mike's and called up his friends and got him all situated. But in that, during that hour that I was over there, he starts, he can't talk because he's got a mouthful of gauze. And he's on whatever medicine that they give you to knock you out. And it's kind of like a truth serum. So he starts writing, I love you. I want you back. Please move in with me. I mean, this is out of nowhere for me, but I'm like, yes. But, but, I, but I couldn't really do that because I had another boyfriend that was kind of back at my apartment living with me. So I said, well, Mike, you know I'm with so-and-so. And he goes, yeah, I love you. I want you back. And I thought, well, all I'm going to tell you is I'll bring you dinner tonight. I've got everything else taken care of. I'll see you for dinner tonight. I'll bring something for you to eat. So after work, I go back and tell my boyfriend, you know, I've got to take dinner over to Mike's. He knew the story about the breakup and all that. And I said, you know, I'm just going to take him dinner, and then I'll be back. And he said, no, if you go, we're done. He gave me that ultimatum, and that's not a good thing to do for me. Um, Give me an ultimatum because I'm going to run with it. And uh, I ran with that. I said, Really, I'm just taking him dinner, and you're going to leave. And he said, yeah. And I said, I'll see you later. And I headed out the door, and he left me the dog. He left me the dog that, that was his, that, that stayed with us for 15 years. I loved the dog. And, uh, you know, that I didn't have to do that breakup. He, he left me. But uh, it was an answer for me because then I could go back to Mike. And we Took off running again. My mother somehow got wind because at that point we decided to move in together. And I didn't know if, I still never knew why we broke up. So I thought, I'm going to live with him to see if I can even, if we can make it. Because I don't know what was wrong before. So my mother got wind of this and said, you know, asked me, she, I was over at her house, and she said, I just have a question to ask you. And I said, what's that? And she said, are you living with Mike? And I said, well, since you asked, yeah, this was the day people were doing. I was in my 20s, and I said, I am. Um, because, you know, we broke up before, and I don't know if I can live with him, and I don't know if it's going to work, but I think, I think we're meant to be. But And um, so at that point, see, my, my perception... And my looking back is, is kind of hazy. I used to say she cut me off, disowned me, and all that stuff. And I probably said that last time I was here. I don't know that that's true. I really don't know that that's true. I know she was very hurt. I know we parted ways. And she said her comment to me was, you know, he'll never marry you now. He's got what he wants. And I thought, well, if that's the case, you know, I'll find that out. I just at the point, there was something behind me that said, you know, I have to learn to make my own mistakes and figure this out because I think it's going to work. But I don't know. I, I, I can't go on without knowing. And so three months later, we're off uh, at his father's farm and we're riding some horses out uh, in the pasture. And, and we stopped to look at some stuff, a little pond. And they, um, 
Mike just looks at me out of nowhere and just says, will you marry me? He hadn't planned to say that. It, was, it just kind of came out for him. And I was in shock, and I just hugged him. I didn't say anything. And he's like, well, what does that mean? And I'm like, well, yes. <laughs> and Mike was like, okay, so what date? And I'm, I'm like, out of the blue, um, we came up with a date because I knew my, I worked for my father, and I knew he was going out of town in August. And this is May 31st. And I'm like, here, a couple of months. Let's just get married a couple of months. Not realizing you've got to do all the planning and all that kind of stuff like you do today. But I said August 9th. So we went back to, the, to his farmhouse and said to his parents, what are you doing August 9th? And, you know, would you come to our wedding? I, we were just crazy. We were just crazy. Went home, and, of course, I couldn't wait to bring it up to my mom. That my dad, He went and asked my dad for, for my hand in marriage doing the proper thing, and, and came out with champagne, my dad, and I was out there with my mom, and uh, she was all excited, and I kind of was like, told you so kind of thing. I was not, I'm sure, just had this beam that, you know, I was right, and she was wrong, but it, anyway, I, it, I, I can't remember all that, but other than that, we were going to get married in a couple of months, and I had a sister who had been engaged and was getting married in July. So my mother just doubled everything. All, everything just changed the names and invitations. Everything just went out. We just did the same thing my sister did. Wore my sister's dress. All that. It just was easy. And, and we got married, and we started partying. We started playing. We, we were in an apartment, and a, couple, you know, a year later we found the house. that was our dream house that we've been in forever. Three years later, I'm... Mike says, see, I thought we, this is, I thought we decided it was time to have kids. <laughs> Mike says, I decided it was time to have kids, which I don't remember that, but that's what he says. So we had our first son, which just, for me, I, I love children. I've, I've gotten to be work with children all my life. And uh, I think growing up with four little younger ones, we, we played house with them. We played school with them. I enjoy babies, and so when I had my son, that was fabulous, you know. It was just kind of like my purpose in life was to be a mom, to be this mom, and I loved it. And Mike was busy, 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 you know, seven days a week pretty much working, and so that kept me busy. I, I quit my work when I when I had my son, and just became full-time mom. I stopped partying. I stopped all that when I got pregnant. And life was just fine. Mike kept rocking on. We had a lot of friends, a lot of partying. They started having kids, so we'd party. We'd do the babysitter things and party. But I realized I just couldn't do that. You know, I was taking care of his mom now. I was a responsible mom. And three years later, we had an, three and a half years later, we had another son. And we just, I, I was just happy and contented being a mom. I, about a couple of years after my second son was born, 
my mother uh, was diagnosed with lung cancer, and she had they had they had lived in Nashville um, up until a few years before my my father retired and moved to the Florida Keys, and so my parents left and were there for several years before. And my mother was there for the first son, and she helped me out with him a lot because they just lived down the street from me. And then they moved to Florida. And then so when she got sick uh, and started having to go be treatment in Miami, we would fly down, the sisters, or we'd take turns flying down for her chemo treatments. And then it got to where we had to fly. We decided to move her to Nashville because so, she was getting sick and we moved her into my house for six weeks, and I still, the, my little boys were young, and she lived, she, we had a bed in my living room, and, and we took care of that, and I just was nurse and mom, nurse, mom. My, being a wife, I don't, you know, Mike was so busy that, you know, things were not going good. I think he was so busy, and he was stressed. He was suicidal. Um, he was on medicines, and, you know, I didn't know what was going on. I couldn't figure out why things were changing in the household and stuff. And uh, I'm sure you can figure it out, but I I could not. I was oblivious to all that and just focus, you know, laser beam on my kids and my mom. And my dad was there with us too. So, uh, and then the last, her last six weeks, we decided to move her out of my house so the little, my my young children didn't have to be around her dying. into her best friend's house, which was just down the street. They had a guest house, and they, we put a nurse there with my mom and dad. And, and so I, I lived over there all the time. I mean, I would wake up, take the kids. They had a pool and stuff. The kids would play, and I would be there with my mom and my other siblings and stuff. We all got to be there. And then when my mom passed, you know, it was kind of, what do I do now? I'm, I'm left. You know, I've got these kids and stuff, and I did that. Took care of them, but there was there was a void there, and I, I really got back into church. Um, I found that little peace and serenity at church that I find in meetings. You know that hour to get away, and because uh, I, I didn't know what was going on with Mike, I just knew that there was it was getting tough, and things weren't as well as good as they were before. The stress was there. There was those red flags were there, but I was in such denial. Such denial of anything going on. We know, we know suspicions would hit me about him. I'd say, nah, no way. He wouldn't do that. That's, that's not possible. And I'd just kind of shut that door, and, and I stuffed everything. I, I didn't tell you, but I grew up in a household where it was a loving family. I mean, I, the only time there was anger or rage or whatever, it was my dad punishing one of us or getting angry at us, father, parent to child. And sibling, sibling rivalry, the fun little, we fight, we hate, you know, that normal stuff that goes on. Every day it was different. You liked one one day, you didn't like one the next day. We switched bedrooms. We were always sharing bedrooms and you shared with different people. Just normal stuff. But didn't ever have any kind of communication skill whatsoever and how to deal with the conflict. The one time I remember my parents uh, fighting in front of us, and it wasn't really in front of us, but we heard it, uh, was my mom 
got mad at my dad and threw something at him and then ran out of the house. And we, I was kind of, a part of me was going like, yes. You know, my mom stood up for herself. And because uh, my dad was the disciplinarian, and, but we thought, uh-oh, now she's going to leave. <laughs> this is my warped thinking. I thought, okay, a fight, shh, divorce, she'll leave because she ran out the door. Well, we all followed her out there on little ducklings and, and surrounded my mom and said, you know, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. And, and it was, and that's, we don't remember anything else after that. Mike grew up in a household with um, the, there was drinking more and he, some, when the drinking got after 5.30, there'd be more fights, and so there was more. He, he got around the fight, was raised with more fights and stuff, so he didn't want that. Well, I just thought perfect marriages don't fight. So Mike and I never fought. It was like if there was something wrong with me, I would just uh, stuff it. Talk to my best friend about it. You know, I never talked to him about it. Never addressed really. Well, I, when I'd address things with him, it was like this. And, and it's kind of like what I hear over and over and over in this, this the disease is that, you know, if he were home late or something or something, he, he, I would question him about where he was and the dinner was getting cold or the kids were waiting for him or whatever. And he was like, well, you know, I'm working hard or whatever. The expl- what I remember at the end of the conversation was I was always apologizing for him being home late, which is a little crazy-making, but I'd always feel guilty about even saying anything to him because he was working hard to keep the family, and he was the, wor- you know, he was the breadwinner, and he was doing it all for us and whatever, whatever, whatever. And I would be apologizing at the end of the con- you know. And so I got to the place where I didn't even say anything anymore because I knew if I did, it would be, it was all because of me, something. So I didn't do that. I just stuffed everything. And as a result, when you stuff, it's got to come out some way. You know, I heard in these rooms early on that it was coming out sideways, and it was coming out in my kids. You know, what was, what Sean, uh, Tim shared earlier, there was, was Tom, I can't get names right. You know who you are. Uh, it was at the kids. You know, the anger came out at the kids. They'd spill milk. You know, they'd not tidy up their room. Something. It was, I was such a control freak that everything had to be perfect. And I, you know, if my house looked perfect and clean, I was okay. That meant we looked great on the outside. I was room mom. I was chair of this, chair of that committee. I was working at church. I was Sunday school teacher, I was all Cub Scout leader. I did it because he looked really good, you know. And then that was my esteem for me. I was, sorry, I was doing all that stuff out there. But inside, I was dying. I didn't know, I didn't have any tools. I didn't find any tools or choose to pick up many tools other than just stuff it. Make it all look great. Take care of everybody around. Fix everything. Fix him. He would come home from a hard day work, tell me the problems he had, and I'd tell him, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? I always ha- seemed to have an answer. Try this. Try that. Because in my family, we had to do that. And, you know, with 12 of us, we had to figure it all out ourselves. We had to fix everything ourselves. Uh, we were a great group of fixers. <laughs> 
And, uh, and there, there's some positive about that. We do fix a lot of things. Uh, you know, mechanical, electrical, pl- all that stuff. We're good. And, but we are such control freaks. You get my family of 12, 11 of us together, it's a zoo for outsiders. Um, it's comfortable for us. This is what we knew. This is what we were raised. This is how, it was a comfortable place for me. So I, that was me. I was a control freak. Have the kids doing this and doing that. And then we, but there was, there was this, um, the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I don't know if there's any new people out here tonight or today, but, you know, I never knew what kind of mood he was going to be in. So I would call him several times during the day and find out how's it going to be tonight when he comes home. You know, what do I need to plan for a really special dinner or just can we have pizza or do I need to have the kids for dinner at the table or do I need to feed them and have them up in the playroom or, you know, in front of movie or whatever, you know, do I need to kind of keep Mike to himself and let him cool down, you know, depending on how his day was. I just, you know, and I would rehearse what was going on and, and how to make things better, you know. Not deal with it, just make things better. And uh, it was just a crazy, crazy house. And nobody saw that, you know, on the outside. They saw just a perfect family. My boys were just perfect outside. You know, people always say, oh, you've got the best kids and stuff they do. And I was like, that's good that you don't see them inside the house. Um, I'd rather they do that, act the way they do in the house and, and act the way they do outside than reverse. So it was just crazy in the house. And we, my, I kept thinking, well, maybe it's because we drink and party too much. So I would use the little tricks of, um, you know, let, let's uh, stop drinking for Lent. That's a good one. Um, if he can stop drinking six weeks, he doesn't have a problem. I'm just kind of check, you know, I'm checking this one out. He'd do it. Pass that test. Must not have anything to do with alcohol. Now, did I ever go, we didn't have the internet and find out all that stuff back then. To check anything out about what is alcoholism. I didn't know anything. What is I didn't know about AA. I didn't know about Al-Anon. All I knew is that if he could stop drinking, um, we'll see if things get better. And you know what? It didn't. It didn't get better when he'd stopped drinking. And I didn't know he was using other things. He was using other things, too. Um, so I, I thought, well, it must not be alcohol, so he can go back. we can go back to drinking. No big deal. And then, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's go to church. You know, we need to be good examples for the kids. I'd say, let's do this. Let's do that. If I can get him to church, maybe things will get better. He'd go to church with me, and it just wouldn't work for him. Just didn't work for him. He didn't like it. He, things got worse. And uh, so, you know, all these little things, my little checklist of maybe it's this, maybe it's that. I can fix it this way. I can fix it that way. None of it was working. I was just baffled. You know, cunning, baffling, powerful. I was baffled. I knew things weren't do, going well. My kids were, both of them were starting school. I decided, you know, I don't know if this marriage is going to make it. I don't know what's wrong. I can't fix it. 
I better start thinking about getting a job. I may have to take care of myself. And uh, so I got a part-time job at school where my kids were and started that because I was in fear. I was in fear. And um, it was when Mike came home and shared about wanting to shoot his dad's Buick. I thought, oh, this isn't good. (laughs) I don't have an answer for that. I don't know what you do when somebody tells you they're going to shoot their dad's Buick. And I said, please go get help. And he'd, he'd gotten help before. You know, he is suicidal. I lived with that fear of coming home with children, and he might, not, he might have taken care of other things. And, and that was a fear, so that's why I walked on eggshells. Wanted to make everything perfect in the household. Make myself the perfect wife, lover, everything, mother, cook, I did everything. I was making all these great meals and just, you know, I was just uh, crazy. So when he did that, I said, please go get help. I really think that's serious. And so he did, and they said, you need to go see this, you know, other person. And they asked me to fill out a questionnaire about things at home. And, you know, I just filled it out the way it should be, turned it in. We went, and they had me listen to this little tape while he was in talking to the doctor. And it was all about disease of alcoholism. It was all about what was going on in my household. You know, it was like, wow, this is really cool. And the guy came out, and then he said, you know, um, you know, it's not rocket science, it's He's an alcoholic and has been for 15 years. I mean, part of me wanted to get up and do a cheer. He was immortal, you know, just couldn't believe that he would say that to me. I was so excited to have an answer. I was like, yes, thank you. Now I can work with something. Something I can do about it. No, <laughs> I thought something. I, and, of course, that was my thing. The first thing I said, well, what do I need to do? And they said, pack his bags. I was like, that's not the answer I want to hear. I need him at my house taking care of things. I can't pack his bags. What will I do? And, of course, he's the one that said no. I just kept my mouth shut and was just like, oh, Lord. But, but there is a hope. That was the first thing about hope I heard, that there was something that explained the, the craziness in my household. Besides me, it, it didn't explain my craziness because I didn't see my craziness. I thought mine was the, the perfect, uh, I was the perfect person over here doing everything, and he was the crazy person. I thought I was going crazy times, many times. But they, he did an outpatient treatment, and in that outpatient treatment, they did a, um, a family week where I took my, Two boys, they were 8 and 12, out of school for the last, for three days. And we all attended a family workshop week at the uh, treatment center. And there I heard a word that was just so, they, they used the word enabling. And for me, when they explained what that was, I was like, Really? Really? I'm just being a good wife. I'm just being a good mom. I'm just being helpful. You know, that's what you're supposed to do, right? 
No, 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 no. You're enabling him. And so they gave me my one-day-at-a-time book. It's falling apart now, which is good. They say if a book's not falling apart, the person is. So uh, my book's falling apart. It's been with me from that day. They gave it to me. And they had me sign a piece of paper that said I would attend. I thought it said four meetings, four Al-Anon meetings. And, you know, we say six in the, in the rooms. But I, I thought, okay, and I signed it, and I thought, okay, now they can kind of check up on me. So, and I put it in writing. So i got to go to those four meetings, right? You know, I'm one that if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If I said it, I've done it. So I started going to Al-Anon meetings. And Mike was doing his outpatient thing every night, so he was never home. He would go to work every day and outpatient five days a week. He was gone, and I was with the boys, and they, they were okay by themselves, now, but pretty much I didn't attend meetings until he got out, which was just about 24 years ago, April. So I started, I think, my Al-Anon program about 24 years ago, and um, went to the first meeting I went to. was a small meeting, maybe eight people. And all I can remember them saying in that meeting, this is, you know, my, my mind is, is how sick they were. They just kept talking about how sick they were. And I left that going, I don't want to be here. They're all sick. Why would I want that? You know, why would I want to be sick? You know, I don't want that. I want to find something healthy. And so I went, Mike got out, and we, we attended our home group. It was still our home group. I attended that one with him and just loved it, fell in love with it, fell in love with the people there. And then I found an Alat. They told me the kids could go to try to try to go to Alatine. I heard that in my other meeting. To, to my kids could go. We had Alat Kid back then too, and so I found a meeting that is still going on today as Alatine that I sponsor sometimes. Um, I got to do it this Tuesday, and we um, went to that one. And I told my kids. I said they they say in Alatine could go to six meetings. So I'm going to ask you guys to go to six meetings. End of six meetings, you don't want to go back, that's fine. You tell me. It's your choice. I, I, I'll go to this meeting. There's an Al-Anon, and there's Alateen, and there's AA down the street, and Mike will go to that one so we could all go together. I took my kids to their first Alateen meeting. And I remember coming out of that meeting, asking them how it was and stuff, and they were like, we want to come back. They loved the kids there. It was, it was great to have kids that, that see, my kids, we, we talked to them. We had to do a family afterwards workshop, and I said, you know, we've never really talked to the kids about what it was like for them when they found out we were, you know, that you were an alcoholic and stuff, and here they are, grown men now. And so we, we gave each one of them a call and said, what was it like for you when you heard, we came back and said, you know, your dad's an alcoholic when you went to that, that week, that treatment center. And my oldest son said, I was in shock because I thought, Everything was fine at the house. I didn't think anything was wrong. And to know my father was an alcoholic, it was just, just really, he said, that kind of turned my whole world around. So going to that, I think, going to the Alateen meeting for him, he had other kids he could talk about it to because he couldn't talk really about school. It's kind of like for me. I couldn't talk with my coworkers or my family members about what was going on in my house. I didn't take that. I didn't take that to them. Um, I figured I would be judged or something. And so, but in the Al-Anon rooms, 
Y'all were talking about the same stuff that was going on in my house. And I loved it. Y'all talked about things that I'd stuffed, the feelings that I'd stuffed so long. Y'all were bringing them out in the open and talking about it in front of people. And so I would grab you after me and say, can we go out for coffee so I can talk about this? Because I wouldn't know, you know how to deal with this. And I said, you've dealt with this. And it was so great. So my kids started going to Alateen. It was great. And the oldest one did that till he went to college. And three of his Alateen friends were in his wedding, um, which was so cool. So cool because they stayed connected like that. And they still, they still see each other every now and then. And, and uh, their, their kids are all kids and going to the Alateen. Uh, my granddaughter, I take her to the Alateen. And they ha- she has her, her dad's Alateen book that they got back then, which are falling apart too, but um, I love it. But we started on this road of Al-Anon, Alateen, AA. We found a family. We found some hope. Mike, as he shared, um, dropped the bomb about infidelity, which, you know, really put me in a lot of pain. But for me, I'm grateful for that pain today because if he hadn't done that, I don't know that I would have stayed. See, I thought I could just fix this alcoholism if he would go to meetings because I was seeing him get better. I didn't really think I needed to work on me. I didn't know what it was about me that I needed to work on. I couldn't see my disease. And when he put me in that pain, I mean... I doubled my meetings. I got my sponsor. I started working the steps. I needed to start getting active in the program, not just going to meetings and doing the social stuff. I I had to start doing this deal. And that's where my recovery really started. And it took, uh, we didn't share about that much last night, but it took us six years to, to work that out, but I stayed. I stayed, and not because I'm a superwoman or anything, I stayed out of fear. I look at that today and know it was all about fear. I was not secure enough to be on my own. I still loved him. I wanted it to work. I was also believed that you stay in a marriage then. And, uh, um, you know, I, I, I... Thank God for this program because I, I, I was told, you know, you take it one day at a time. You take it, you know, and I, and I told Mike, I said, I'm staying one day at a time. I don't know if I'm going to stay forever. I don't know how long it's going to last. I'm going to take it one day at a time. And I got to see him change. And the Mike that I knew and met was coming back. You know, the, the wonderful um, husband that he is today you know, come back a lot better than even when we first met. Um, But I was willing to work it and stay because of fear. So I'm grateful for fear today. That sometimes it motivates me in a way that that, uh, I don't know the results, but I'm grateful for them today. And I'm not saying that anybody has to stay in that because I know you don't have to do that. My beliefs are different today. Uh, But... It worked for us. The program worked, but, but we got really busy. You know, we have that pamphlet, if you get busy, you get better. 
and I started doing a lot of service work. Um, they told me that's how it works. You get involved. And in our home group, y- you could start at the little smallest level, you know, putting your name on the phone list to take phone calls, working in our literature depot, taking phone calls after the, just getting people to meetings. You could put chairs up before and after the meetings. We didn't do coffee in ours, but they always did. But we could just stay after the meeting and talk. We'd go out for yogurt after the meetings. Um, we just always had some fun things to do. Um, after my, my uh, first sponsor, after the first, we worked through the step, uh, first five, six steps, seven steps, we, um, our schedules weren't working. I could never get a hold of her, and she, you know, would, we played telephone tag all day long. And I knew it was time. She was a loving, wonderful sponsor that I needed early on in the program. Second time around, I I decided I needed somebody who was really going to kick my you-know-what. I thought i got to even get busier. (laughs) i got to get deeper into working this program. And there was a lady in my meeting that I, I liked what she shared, and I knew she was really tough. I decided I needed a tough one. To get through, so I got, I got this this lady, and she was my sponsor for a long time. We worked through the steps again, um, different ways. The big book through, I've worked the steps all the way through Al Anon, big book, all the different ways, and she she chose to work that. Well, we did the paths of recovery too, and um, after several years with her, she divorced her husband and and found a, a normal person. And uh, chose not to go back to Alan. Chose, she said she wasn't going to do, be doing Alan on, and I'd need to get a different sponsor. So for me, I, I, I got another sponsor, and she's like, I know you've worked the steps and you've done all this. Let's do something a little differently. Let's try something different. And this sponsor for me was um, just, she was all about fun and laughter and lighten up. Don't take yourself so seriously and just just blew bubbles and did all this fun stuff. She was like a kid. And uh, whenever we'd get together, and it was like at conferences or workshops or whatever, she got me involved in a lot of stuff. We started doing a book study. She said, let's do a book study together, and you get a, we'll get four of us together. And we started doing this. Um, an Al-Anon speaker did these newsletters. We started doing that. and We'd meet once a week, there's four of us, and then after about, Several years doing that, we got each of us brought another sponsee in that wanted to do it. So there was eight of us, that, and we still meet today, but we, you know, we've changed what we've studied and done. And we're a very close-knit group that just meeting for an hour, two hours, we do two hours usually, outside of the meetings doing recovery stuff, it was just such a gift, such a gift. We got to know each other on a level so intimate that, you know, we just have this bond, all of us. And we go to Florida together. We go on trips together. We do fun things. And uh, I'm so grateful we're still together today. And that, that sponsor has moved on and moved out of town, so I had to get another sponsor. And the sponsor I have today is, is wonderful. I've only had her for a few months. Uh, I held on to my other sponsor for a year after she'd moved kind of away and she, she tried to fire me, and I said, no, I think we can make it work. Let's just try to do the long-distance thing. But realized, you know, the last 
since um, November, December, it wasn't, it was just too hard. Her computer was never good, or her phone was lost, or whatever. We couldn't connect. So I, I, I got me another sponsor. I know I need a sponsor. I never can do this thing without a sponsor. Um, and, and why I needed all these sponsors <laughs> was that, you know, life was still happening to me. Mike was in recovery. There wasn't alcoholism, the disease going on actively. Um, but we did have uh, teenage boys that started acting out. And I used this program for that. Um, my son, Mike, shared that he got in trouble in eighth grade and got kicked out. And thank God for this program. But I was still in control mode. And I decided I was going to find him a school to go to. He got kicked out of public school. So I went to every private school in the, in the city trying to get him in. Mid-year, eighth grade, they all said, we can't take a new person on mid-year in a graduating class. That's just not something we do. Of course, they weren't saying, you know, he's been kicked out of a public school for drugs. I'm not going to take him on. You know, not. But, you know, we just tried everything, trying to get him in there. And, and I finally told my sponsor, uh, my sister was being a, a jewel. I have to thank her for this, too, again. She, um, because I was working, and um, uh, I couldn't be home for him. And she took him every day to her house and had him work at a barn cleaning out the stalls or doing stuff around her. She, she kept him busy so he didn't get into trouble during that, that um, time. And it was going on a month that he'd been, um, this was like January, February, and he was, I was thinking, okay, I've done everything I know. I've tried everything. I called my sponsor and I said, okay. I'm going to have to just quit school. I mean, I was working in a school system. I said, I'm going to just have to homeschool him. I'm not going to let him not graduate eighth grade or school. And the, we have a zero tolerance in Nashville. They just started it, and they're out for a year. You can't come back for a year unless you go to the alternative learning center, which he wasn't even available to go there yet. Um, they were supposed to call us if they had an opening. And so... I, I called my sponsor, and I just said, uh, like, I'm just going to have to quit school and, and homeschool him, I guess. And I know that's going to be a bad idea because we are just alike, and we are going to butt heads all day long. I just, it's going to be horrible. But I'm, gonna will, I'm willing to do it. And she said this wonderful phrase. I don't know if y'all have ever heard it before, but it's called a let go and let God. She says, Diane, how about surrendering? Let it, give it to God. Let him take care of it. Like, I don't think I have. I mean, really? I mean, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to stop. I surrender it. I'm giving it to God till Friday. God's got till Friday to show me something because it's going to be a month. That would be the anniversary of him getting kicked out. I said, at the end, I, that's just my answer is to quit and to, to do this thing. So, she was willing to let me go till Friday, let go and let God. And I, um, Thursday night, you know, I pray about it and pray about it. Thursday night, I get a phone, we get a phone call, Thursday afternoon probably. Um, it's the ALC, the Alternative Learning Center. They said, we would like you to come in tomorrow for an interview. So I called my sponsor, I said, okay, God called 
We've got our answer. So he started on that journey in a year. He went to that school. And, of course, I didn't think it was where he would go. I was willing. I said I'd do it. It'd be, you know, wasn't going to be for him because that's where all the bad boys went. And he was not a bad boy, you know. He just got caught a little bit of something really. It wasn't even his. And yeah, right. So he actually says it really wasn't his, but um, he, he just happened to get caught. And uh, so we were willing to do that. That, that was like, I think... Well, actually, my first surrender was pre-programmed when I uh, was so confused about Mike, didn't know what was going on. I remember being in church, just like a, a chapel, prayer chapel, by myself. I remember getting on my knees and saying, I don't know what to do with it anymore, my marriage. I give it up. You know, God, you do something. Let me know what's supposed to happen. That was something I really feel my first surrender. And... Um, that's when things started happening on the path to us finding AA and Al-Anon, I think, when I finally let go of that. And my son went on his path, and I got to see at the end of that year, he got all these awards at that school where, for science and computers and all this kind of stuff, that I got to look back and say, you know, that really was the place for him. It was, he could never have done that any other school. Because he didn't feel like he was smart enough or good enough or anything. He just didn't have any self-esteem at all. And uh, you just saw him beam, and I thought, God, that was so cool. I never realized that he'd get that experience. So that was another thing. So every time I turned something, it was easier for me to turn it over after getting through this, some of those experiences. So I thought, okay, we, we survived that. What, what at, we're on the road happiness and all this good stuff. And um, then uh, my son gets engaged, and he, uh, we were excited. It was like Thanksgiving. He announced his engagement at my sister's house, and we were gonna, they were going to plan a two-year engagement, you know, not going to get married for a couple of years, get out of college. And we were excited about that, didn't have any time to worry about it. They hadn't known each other that long, so I was kind of like, we'll, we'll prepare for that down the road someday. And uh, in February, Mike and I, his, he had some arson in his office, and it, his office got burned down, and y'all were there for that, and Mike was over there, and we got a phone call from my son. He was in college, and, and he said, um, how do y'all feel about being grandparents? We're like, yeah, someday. It'd be great. He said, how about August? Okay, August. Well, fortunately, we've been in the program about 10 years <laughs> because I didn't have to do to him what I felt like, you know, I, I, normally I would have done had not been program. You know, said, well, y'all got to get married. You got to do this. You got to do that, 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 that. I, I, you know, we just said, okay, we're, we're there for you. You know, my, my first question to him was like, do y'all want to move the wedding up to like the spring or summer or something? They said, no, why? I don't know. I don't know, just that thought crossed my mind. <laughs> you don't have to get married. <laughs> and that was like, you know, pre-programmed. I never would have said that. And uh, so we just kind of got to stand. We said, you know, we're here for you, not financially. You know, you're on your own. You're that Y'all are going to make it work. We'll love you through it. We'll love this baby. We'll pray for you. 
my son quit college. Well, he finished that that uh, college year and came home and and got an apartment, got a job. They moved in together, and I lived in fear of what was going to happen. She wasn't going to have insurance once the, she turned 18, and she was turning 18 right after the baby was born. So there would be no insurance. The, my son just had his job and didn't have insurance for the baby. So luckily her insurance covered the birth, but that was as far as it go. And I'm like, hands off hands off, you know, let them do this, let them be responsible, then give it to God, surrender, 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 pray, 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 and I did that, and, um, you know, we have a 13-year-old granddaughter now that is just, we have loved and had most every weekend of her life, at least one day that we play, I get to have my little daughter, uh, like a, like a daughter to me, and, uh, use program tools with her. And I feel like we got a second chance with this little one. And uh, it's just been beautiful. It's in, uh, and uh, after they, they kept their wedding date two years later, so she was like 18 months and got to be in the wedding, the little flower girl, and we got to watch that. And I think that probably had just happened when we spoke here last time. Uh, and it was just precious, you know, just precious, her being in there and holding their hands as they walked back and everybody clapping for Mr. and Mrs. And she thought they were all clapping for her. Uh, she was just so excited and just an angel. And a couple years after that, they got divorced, and we got to walk through that. Got to walk through it differently than I've ever walked through a divorce in my family. Um, you know, the divorce happens. You don't see the divorcee. They're out of the family. You, that's it. Well, we realized I was in program. You guys told me how to love her and, and love that granddaughter and that daughter-in-law. We didn't have to divorce her, and I told my son, we don't have to stoop. We're going to support her, too. Her family had moved away. She didn't have family there. And so we would have all the holidays. They would all come over for, for house of my, you know, the, the ex-daughter-in-law, her boyfriend, my son, his girlfriend, the daughter, the granddaughter, just one big happy family. But y'all gave us that. You know, I couldn't have done that without program. That would not have worked for me. Um, and today, then, then my son got remarried last year. We've got another daughter-in-law, and it's, it's been an adjustment for my granddaughter, you know, to have another uh, stepmother in this situation. So we've been walking through that, and, and they're building. We're letting them build a relationship, which is really cool. My youngest son was... Um, Thought he was okay. 18, he decided to move out of the house. He was a junior in high school in between his junior and senior year. Because of this program, I said, you're 18. I wish you well. I hope you make it. You know, you'll learn something. Either you're going to make it or you're not. Everybody said, how can you let him move out of the house? He's not graduate. I said, no, it's his deal. He's 18. I'm going to love him. Whether, whether he chooses to live here or not, we went, we, he moved, and, and we stayed out of that. You know, he would come home every now and then and visit, but uh, he was in Nashville still. And in one, uh, he'd been out about five, five months, and we were at a conference uh, that we attended every year. And it had been a four-day conference with great speakers, speakers that had been to jail and penitentiary and all this stuff, and it was great. 
I come home, Mike and I come home, and both children are at our house. They don't live there, but they're both there to greet us. And we're like, what's this about? And they said, well, sit down. We need to talk. And we're like, okay. And uh, my son, the youngest son, says, well, uh, Thursday night I was arrested and put in jail uh, on three felonies and one misdemeanor. Okay. So why didn't you call? He said, because you always told me, and it really wasn't me, it was you. You gave me these words. Is If I got myself into trouble, I had to get myself out. It's your deal. And he said, I got myself out. And he, I said, who got you out? And he said, his brother. <laughs> I'm saving him a seat the next day, but he got to spend the night in, in jail and take care of that. We got to sit by him and let him do the deal. He got the lawyer. He paid the lawyer. We, we were on the sidelines. We said, we'll sit there beside you. We love you. Don't care for your choices, but doesn't mean we don't love you. We always love you. You know, may not like some of the behaviors. You know, we use this program through all of his shenanigans and stuff that he did. Um, and when he moved out and he, he went through that and, and they gave him two years probation. He wanted to move back home, go back to school and graduate. And he did all that. And we said, okay, no drugs, no alcohol. You follow the rules of the house. You can stay here. Your choice. And it was just beautiful the way that got in the end of two years, he moved to California. He's been there ever since doing his own thing. We love him. We support him. He's, he's having the best life he, he chooses to have without any interference from us. We get to see him and have a relationship with him today. I've got all my family members. My father got sick and had stroke in the 90s, and I got to walk through that and build a relationship with him that I never had. You guys taught me how to be an adult with my parents, my, my father, which I never knew. I was acting like a child with him every time, and I gave him that. I taught him how to treat me as an adult. And we got to have a great relationship before he passed in 03. And I, I'm so grateful for that. I got to make an amends to him in, in, on his terms. And uh, we just, it, I, I've, I've got a connection with all my family members. I, there's, there's no disconnect with any of them, but it's as a result of this program. I have a loving relationship with, with uh, Mike, my granddaughter, m my um, ex-daughter-in-law, my daughter-in-law, my sons. We have relationships that I would never have. I know it would not be this way if I had not found you. If it had not been for the program of AA, giving Mike the, the um, want, making him such a wonderful person that he is today, um, that I love, and... Uh, You've given us the program of Al-Anon Alateen. And I, once the kids got out of Alateen, I, I became a sponsor. Um, I do that as a payback for all you've given us. Um, but I, I want to um, close with a, a reading in our One Day at a Time that I just love. It's August 6th. And it says, this is a day which God has given into my hands. If I could only realize what a tremendous gift this is. 
I would use every moment of it to make my life more serene, more rewarding. I would not look back over my shoulder at the disappointments of the past. I would not anxiously contemplate the future. I would live just for today as well as I can. I would notice interesting things, the expressions on people's faces, a plant growing on my windowsill, the grace and charm of a child, an arrangement of clouds. Today there are wonders all around me if I will only open my eyes and enjoy And then the quote at the bottom says, Today is all the time I have. Nobody can keep me from using it well. If I make this a good day, tomorrow can be even better. But the gift has come from you, and I really thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you.